The first time that I came across the term honour killing was when I covered the case of Shafilia Ahmed in season one of this podcast. In season one, episode nine, we took a deeper look into an unspoken pandemic that tragically is still very real and prevalent today. And not just in Middle Eastern countries either, but in Western society, like the UK for Shafilia and in the US for today's case. Families that chose to move to Western countries because it had better prospects, but yet still expected and demanded that their children born in those Western countries adhere to the rules of their culture. And today we're going to honor the memory of Amina Saeed and her sister, Sarah. Hey, Coffee and Crimers, I'm your host, Belle Fagan. So Amina and Sarah were typical teenagers in every way. They loved music, animals, sports, and of course, hanging out with their friends. They had both been born in the USA, and outside of their home, they were just regular American teens. The only thing that set them apart from their classmates was their dad, Yasir, an Egyptian immigrant who had a super poor opinion of Westerners, which just constantly put him at loggerheads with his two American-born daughters. Again, I just want to reiterate here that Yasir had chosen to move to the US for better opportunities. Now, what will break your heart about this case is that even when it became so obvious to nearly everyone around the girls that the situation with their dad was reaching breaking point, the most important person who should have protected them failed miserably. Just like Shafilia Ahmed, a home that should have been a place of security and comfort instead was a place of beatings, sexual assault and ultimately death. And for Amina and Sarah, it was no different. It was completely a prison with no escape and a mother who did nothing to protect them. But let's backtrack a little bit and find out how these beautiful girls came to be. So in 1983, a 26-year-old Yasir and his five adult siblings moved from Sinai in Egypt to the suburbs of the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. Like I said earlier, financial prospects were better for them in the US, and that did prove to be true. Once settled, they'd opened a convenience store that was actually pretty lucrative. After about three years of being in the States, Yasir's brother Yassane, who was around 23 at the time, began dating a 14-year-old American girl called Patricia Owens, known by her family and friends as Tizzy. Yeah, you did hear me right, 14 to his 23. The couple dated for a while, but did eventually call it quits. Now, just like Shafilia's case, keep the following details in mind, because the irony will not be lost on you. Once again, major hypocrisy incoming. So shortly after the breakup, Yasir and Patricia become a couple. So she's jumped from one brother to the other, despite the fact that he was twice her age, because remember, he was six years older than his brother Yassane, making him 29 to Patricia's 14. Now, he did ask her parents for their daughter's hand in marriage, and even though they had reservations, duh, they were struggling to make ends meet, so figured that she would have a better chance at life with the financially stable Saeed family. 
and I can only assume that they were convinced that they were truly doing the right thing for her in the long run, but you would still never catch me allowing my 14 slash 15 year old to marry somebody, let alone somebody that much older than them. Now I understand that in some cultures it is acceptable, but the Owens weren't Egyptian, they were born and bred Americans, and they weren't Muslim either. So anyway, they willingly signed the consent forms. Consent forms that would be the start of years of heartache ahead. That was in 1987, and Patricia had actually turned 15 by the actual wedding, not that that makes it any better. And only a year later, she gave birth to their first child, a boy that they named Islam. Then on March 3rd, 1989, Amina was born, and with Sarah arriving a year later in the winter of 1990. Now, nothing is as ever good as it seems, right? And this was true of Yaziz's involvement in the family convenience store. He actually didn't have that much of a stake in the business, so the profits that he received weren't really enough to support his and Patricia's family of five, so the three children and themselves. So in order to support them, Yasir took a job as a cab driver and Patricia worked in retail and they also bred dogs as kind of like a little side hustle. From the get-go, things for the Saeed kids were rocky. When the kids were little, Patricia was definitely not a squeaky clean, Susie homemaker type of mum. She actually had a few minor run-ins with the law, including a misdemeanor fraud charge and another for possession of marijuana. So this kind of gives us a picture that even as a mum of three, she's got pretty questionable judgment, shall we say. And trust me, that it's only going to get worse as the years went on. In 1998, Amina was now eight, and she confided to her maternal grandmother, so that's Patricia's mum, that she was being molested by her dad. Now, okay, she may have allowed her 15-year-old daughter to marry an older man, but she was not a monster, okay? And she was literally horrified by this revelation and immediately went straight to Tizzy, or Patricia who grabbed both the girls and took them straight to the hospital. Now, obviously, authorities were called, and when they questioned Amina, she described to them how her father had, quote, put his front parts, end quote, into hers. She also gave detailed descriptions of how, if he didn't use his front parts, he would use his fingers. And seven-year-old Sarah told them that she had also experienced the exact same things. There is literally nothing in this world that makes me more sickened than parents who do this to their kids. It kills me every time. Frustratingly for authorities, the alleged molestation had happened several months earlier, so any physical evidence that might have been present was obviously long gone. But despite the lack of physical evidence, it was noted in an official report that sexual abuse could not be ruled out. When Child Protective Services questioned Sarah, she told the caseworker that she was terrified of her dad and her uncles. Now, before we carry on, I'm going to warn you that by the end of this, you are going to want to slap Patricia, because I know I did. So don't be fooled by the fact that she took them to the hospital and what I'm about to tell you. Worrying that Yasir's brothers might try to get involved on his behalf, Patricia and the kids had hidden at her mum's house, while the various agencies involved in the case did what they needed to do. Obviously, Yasir was brought in for questioning and denied that he had ever behaved inappropriately towards either of the girls, 
You didn't think it was going to be that easy, hey? Again, frustratingly for the authorities, even though they didn't believe a word coming out of his mouth, with no evidence, they had no choice but to release him pending further investigation. Now, over the course of the next several weeks, Yasir called his mother-in-law's house dozens of times, day and night, pleading to speak to Patricia and the girls. Eventually, he turned threatening and was arrested on charges of retaliation and for attempting to intimidate witnesses in an ongoing criminal investigation. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? UVX10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's EUFY.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all in one robot vacuum for only $799. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Okay, so it's from this point onward where we will all want to continually scream at Patricia. When Patricia realized that Yasir was facing actual jail time, she completely backtracked on her support for the girls. And then all of a sudden, the girls were back at the police station, recanting their statements and insisting that they had made the whole thing up. (sighs) Okay, let's be honest, really? A seven and an eight-year-old being that descriptive? Yep, nope, totally made the whole thing up. Amina did confide in her grandmother again, though, saying that her mum had forced her and Sarah to take back the accusations. Their grandmother, who had believed them from the get-go, never forgave her daughter for choosing Yasir over the girls. Now, I couldn't find anything out about why, but Patricia's younger sister decided to move in with the Saeeds, 
and it wasn't long before she fled the house, claiming that Yasir had been abusing her sexually also. But she was terrified that he would make her life a living hell, or worse, if she went public, so she refused to file a criminal complaint. In 2003, when the girls were 12 and 13, Yasir had filmed them as they lay in their beds. You can see them trying to pull the covers up to their necks, and they kept telling him to leave them alone. But their brother, Islam, had stepped in to yank the blankets away. Now some, not me, but some, might say that it was just their dad and brother goofing around. Had it not been for Yazir's commentary as the camera rolled. When Islam pulled the covers off of Amina, exposing her legs... Her dad can be heard saying, Mmm, very nice. Oh, excuse me while I throw up into my mouth. Then as Sarah, who was fully clothed, tried to avoid being filmed, Yazir hovered over her, telling her that she had nice legs too. Now I'm pretty sure you'll agree that this is off the charts creep factor extraordinaire of a thing to say to your young daughters. Around the time that Amina turned 16, Yazir announced that he was taking her on a trip to Egypt. Now you just know that this isn't going to be a lovely, simple father-daughter vacay, right? When they arrived, she discovered that a deal was being made, and if successful, would see her marrying a 49-year-old man. Remember, she's 16. Fortunately for her, the deal fell through when the prospective groom didn't have enough money to meet Yazir's asking price. So they came back home to Texas, but Amina knew that it was only a matter of time before she would be taken back to Egypt and sold off to the highest bidder. Even though Amina had sent emails to people in her close circle telling them about her narrow escape from this arranged marriage, Patricia insisted that it never happened continuing to deny it when members of her own extended family called her out, saying that she'd told them years ago that Yasir planned to marry the girls off to a Muslim man of his choosing as soon as they came of age. Now, I just want to go back to earlier when I spoke about the absolute hypocrisy between how the men and women were treated differently. So Yasin had been allowed to date a white American girl, Patricia, and when that hadn't worked... Yasir had married that same white American girl, but his American-born daughters were expected to only marry an Egyptian Muslim man, as well as any other rules that he saw fit. But their brother Islam was his parents' pride and joy, and he was free to do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, with their blessing. Around that similar time, Amina met a boy named Joseph Marino in a Taekwondo class that she took with her brother. The two hit it off instantly, and even though she was strictly forbidden to date, she wasn't about to let this boy get away. As alike as two people could ever be, they knew pretty much straight away that they were meant to be together, come what may. Scared that Yasir would find out, though, about the relationship, she would send Joseph code words to let him know to stop texting or calling her in case Yasir was going to look through her phone. And whenever Yasir asked, Amina denied having a boyfriend. But Yasir still had his suspicions. Whereas Amina was strong-willed and outgoing, Sarah was very shy and pretty reserved. Despite that, though, she did have a silly side that came out when she was around her friends. 
And combined with her good looks, her sense of humour, and just a real sweetness about her personality, she also attracted attention from boys, and particularly Eric Panamino. The attraction was mutual. Just like her sister, she had let the fear of what her dad would do to her if he ever found out that she was dating take a back seat, needing to live life on her own terms. Now, Yasir was unable to find concrete proof that his girls were dating, but in his mind he was convinced, and okay, yes he was right, but whatever. So he decided to move his family 60 miles away to the town of Louisville. Both girls got jobs working as cashiers at a local grocery store, which for most kids their age would equal some kind of freedom, but not for the Saeed girls. Determined to keep his daughters firmly under his thumb, Yasir would often sit in his car outside the grocery store for hours on end, watching them through the window as they chatted with customers, punishing them if he felt that they smiled too much or laughed with customers for too long. Along with doing surveillance on them at work, usually with a video camera in hand, he'd also upped his monitoring of their phones and computers, making it now almost impossible for them to communicate with anyone without him knowing. Amina was a determined girl, though, and managed to find outside devices to be able to send emails to Joseph, his mum, and a teacher at her school at every possible opportunity. And it would be those emails that would capture her thoughts in her final days. They painted such a terrifying picture of the mental and physical cruelty that she and Sarah had endured at the hands of their father. One of Amina's emails revealed that things had gone from bad to worse after her dad had found a letter that she had written to Joseph, who she lovingly referred to as Jojo. He'd been snooping through her belongings and come across it. He absolutely lost his mind and demanded that she give him the boy's name and address. Knowing better than to admit to anything, she told him that Jojo was just a figment of her imagination. Oh, I love the quick thinking of this girl. Screaming at her to tell him the truth, she explained that she had made up a boyfriend to confide in since she wasn't allowed to have the real thing. And even though she held firm to her story that this letter was a complete figment of her imagination or work of fiction, whatever you want to call it, a seed of doubt had been planted that would grow into something so much more sinister in the next few months. Aware that Amina could be whisked away back to Egypt at any moment and never to return, Joseph and his mum had offered to help in any way they could especially after Yasir had beaten Amina after another interrogation about whether she had a boyfriend. He had allegedly kicked her in the face, causing her braces to cut through her lips. To document the abuse, she'd written the details down in an email that she then forwarded to friends. Honestly, this girl is just incredible. The more I researched this and the more I found out about Amina, oh, she was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Patricia again dismissed the account, saying that Yasir was a good dad who had never lashed out physically toward the girls. She insisted that, yeah, he was controlling and abusive, but only to her and not to the girls. On Christmas Day 2007, tensions were literally at an all-time high. Oh, this bit saddens me because, obviously, I say this all the time, but hindsight is, you know, 2020 and wonderful thing and all that stuff but the girls confided in Patricia that they were running away. 
and she begged them to let her come with them, saying that she'd been wanting to leave their father for years. The girls agreed. I mean, at the end of the day, this is still their mum and they love her. So they agreed and along with Sarah's boyfriend and Amina's friend Edgar, they all fled first to Kansas to stay with Patricia's aunt. Safe for the time being, Patricia had been adamant that she would never go back. This was it. Even when her aunt reminded her that she'd made this claim before and only to change her mind as soon as the dust settled. But Patricia promised that this time was completely different. If they went back this time, Yasir would kill the girls. So after a few days of staying with Patricia's aunt, it was decided that they would move to Oklahoma so that Amina could attend college. Everything seemed to be falling into place, with them even putting down a deposit on a rental property in Tulsa. Just when it looked like she was finally going to do right by her girls, Patricia had told them that she needed to go back to Texas. But don't worry, it wasn't to see Yasir, but to put flowers on her mother's grave for the anniversary of her death and to see her sister. Unbeknownst to them, though, Patricia had been talking to Yasir the whole time. Amina tried to argue that it wasn't safe, but she'd given in when her mum assured her that they would be heading straight back to Oklahoma when she was finished. She said, you know, hey, we've got an apartment, you're going to go to school, all this stuff. So why wouldn't Amina believe her? As they travelled down the highway back towards Texas, Patricia broke the news that they were, in fact, going back to Yasir, and that he wanted to apologise to the girls and make things right. Sarah did reluctantly agree to go and see her dad, but Amina point-blank refused, instead asking to be allowed to stay at Edgar's place. Patricia agreed, and after arriving back in Louisville, she dropped Edgar and Amina off and said her goodbyes before taking Sarah back to the house where Yasir was waiting. Over the next few hours, Patricia phoned and messaged Amina so many times, pleading with her to come home and talk to her dad, promising things would be better and it would all change and they would be one big happy family. She initially refused, but her mum's persistence just wore her out and won out in the end. And against her better judgment, she agreed to give him another chance. Now, I think it's worth noting that in Patricia's version of events, she says it was Amina who called her asking to come home, not the other way round. But frankly, I call bull. Patricia has repeatedly proved that Yasir comes before the girls, coupled with all the emails discovered that detail how terrified she was of her dad and her uncles and that they were plotting to kill her and Sarah. But it's her story and she's sticking to it. At 7pm on New Year's Day 2008, Yasir said as a peace offering he wanted to take Amina and Sarah out to dinner. Allegedly, Patricia asked to come along, but he told her that he wanted to be alone with his daughters to iron out their differences. So the three of them climbed into Yasir's taxi and drove off into the night. The girls unaware that they only had moments left to live. After pulling into the cab stand in front of the Omni Hotel, Yasir Saeed had pulled out a 9mm semi-automatic pistol and fired twice at Amina, killing her instantly. He had then turned the gun on Sarah. After shooting her nine times, he got out of the car and ran. Though she was barely clinging to life, Sarah somehow managed to phone 911. 
and as soon as the call connected, she screamed, My dad shot me. I'm dying. What's going on, ma'am? I'm dying, mademoiselle. Irving Fire Department. Ma'am, are you still there? Ma'am, are you still there? All I've got is she's telling me she's dying. I'm getting... I've got a... Why are you still there, ma'am? Ma'am, what is your address? Ma'am. And then the line goes dead. Officials spend the next hour tracking her cell phone signal to, like, a general vicinity when a second call comes in. So it's now 8.30pm on New Year's Day and an employee at the Omni Mandalay Hotel calls 911 to report that a taxi is in the hotel's cab queue with no driver and he thinks he can see a body slumped in the passenger seat and another one in the back seat. Arriving quickly, first responders pronounced both girls dead at the scene. The licence plate of the taxi was traced back to 50-year-old Yazir and an arrest warrant was issued for him on January 2nd, 2008. After running from the hotel, he was nowhere to be found. And are you ready for this? He would remain a fugitive on the FBI's 10 most wanted for the next 12 years. Joseph, whose mum had broken the news to him on the night of the murders, was inconsolable. Now, various media outlets actually named Edgar Ruiz as Amina's grieving boyfriend, but those close to the couple knew that those reports weren't accurate. Edgar had simply been a good friend who had stood by her through thick and thin and had also been a way to divert Yazir's suspicion of Joseph so that when they did elope and get married, he wouldn't know who she'd married. When Joseph showed up at the memorial service to see Amina one last time, as it were, Islam had thrown him out, shouting that he was the reason his sisters were dead. And it's alleged that he also said that Amina and Sarah got what they deserved because they knew the rules. Now, that's not been proven that he said that, but frankly, it fits with what you're about to find out in just a little while. Obviously, that outburst had shocked many of the mourners, but his mum downplayed it, explaining that he had simply asked an unwelcome guest to leave. In the days to come, unable to cope with the reality of losing his first true love, Joseph was admitted to a psychiatric hospital for treatment. And although the heartbreak probably would never go away, Amina had made him promise to live his life for the both of them if anything ever happened to her, and he intended to keep that promise. Oh, I'm so over Patricia at this point. But in a decision that surprised friends and family, although I'm really not quite sure why they'd be surprised at anything she did, Patricia chose to bury the girls in a Muslim cemetery that was in reality nothing more than a desolate, barren wasteland. The fact that she found it a fitting place for her daughters to spend eternity says all I need to know about her, frankly. Now, Patricia's sister and her aunt were convinced from the very beginning that Yasir had not acted alone. Their theory was that someone had been waiting nearby on the night of the shooting, ready to whisk him away from the scene. And since there had been no reports of anybody seeing a man in bloody clothing wandering the streets, it seems like a pretty likely scenario. So wanting to do everything they could to get justice for the girls, they handed out flyers of Yazir throughout the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But when Patricia found out, she asked the police to make them stop. Supposedly, her argument was that she was just tired of the whole thing and wanted to drop the matter and get on with her life. Now, 
I haven't lost a child and I don't ever want to even put that in my brain. But I have done a lot of cases where people have lost a child, listened to a lot of cases where people are talking about losing a child. And the one thing that they all say is they do not know how they can carry on their lives without their child with them anymore. So for her to say, oh, I just want to get on with my life after her two daughters have been brutally murdered is just beyond insane to me. While the Owens, Bar Patricia, were doing what they could, authorities were busy looking into Yasir's phone records, which revealed a large amount of calls between him and his brother Yasin, both before and after the murders. A look at Patricia's phone activity also showed that she'd been in contact with Yasin after the murders. So not Yasir, but Yasin, his brother. When she was asked to take a polygraph test to clear up various discrepancies that they'd found within her statements, she refused. In her own words, she said it would have been, quote, a waste of time. In sit-down interviews carried out in the aftermath of the slayings, Patricia had done a pretty good job of swinging public sympathy in her direction. She was shown a photograph of Yasir holding a knife to her throat and she broke down and cried saying that he'd been demonstrating what would happen if she ever left him. But then in a later interview, she claimed that that picture was just them goofing around and they'd been putting on a show for the camera. And this time, instead of wiping away tears, she'd been smiling. Then she was presented with an image of her holding a gun while wearing a hijab. She tearfully said that Yasir had forced her to strike the pose against her will. Contradicting herself, once again, she later told a documentary film crew that the photo had just been taken in jest. Islam appeared devastated by the murders. Early on, he'd blamed Joseph and Eric for the tragedy. Then as time passed, he would add his mum to that guilty list, all while overlooking the the smack-in-the-face obvious guilty party. Although he had told a reporter in the early days of the investigation that his father should turn himself in and face the consequences, somewhere along the line he'd had some sort of change of heart, I guess. And as I mentioned, he said that his sisters had brought their deaths on themselves with their scandalous behaviour. In 2009, Patricia legally cut ties with Yasir in a process known as divorce by publication, So this method involves publishing a notice of divorce in the local newspapers to give warning to the absentee spouse that the marriage is about to be dissolved. So Yasir is on the FBI's 10 most wanted list and there's also a $100,000 reward for any information leading to his arrest. But still, he's managing to stay in the wind. Authorities were convinced that his family knew where he was hiding, but they had absolutely nothing concrete to prove it. Then, after years of inactivity on August 14th, 2017, a handyman at an apartment complex in the town of Bedford, also in Texas, contacted police to say that he had seen someone matching Yasir's description inside one of the units. Checking it out, authorities discovered that the tenant of that particular unit was none other than Islam Saeed. Suddenly, they knew that they had just been handed their first real lead in a very long time. At 6.30 that evening, detectives went to go and pay Islam a visit. They told him what the maintenance worker had said, and of course he vehemently denied that the man in question was his dad, and that it was simply a case of mistaken identity. 
except he was hella nervous. And that nervous demeanor were giant red flags to investigators that he was hiding something or someone. Armed with a search warrant, detectives came back at 1am. When no one answered the door, the building manager let them in. And although the apartment was empty, a sliding glass door leading to the terrace had been left open. And when the ground was examined, the shrubs were all crushed up as if someone had made a run for it when the police came a knocking. For the next three years, it would be a game of hide and seek between authorities and Islam. I mean, these people are just incredible at staying hidden, I guess. Until witnesses reported seeing Yassane and Islam visiting a house in Justin, Texas. But it was a third man that had caught their eye. Now, they'd never actually seen him come out of the property, but they had seen him through the front window, and the witness felt it very much looked like Yasir. So police immediately act on the tip, and they began surveilling the house. And after watching the same individuals come and go for the best part of a week, they finally got a search warrant for the property. On August 20th, 2020, detectives stormed the house and placed Yazir Saeed under arrest for his daughter's murders. And within a matter of hours, Yassin and Islam were also in custody for conspiracy and harbouring a fugitive. Now, between COVID and just generally the slow-moving pace of the justice system, Yazir's trial didn't start until August 2nd, 2022. Prosecutors were armed with witnesses who all took the stand and told the court in no uncertain terms that Amina and Sarah had fallen victim to the barbaric practice known as honour killing. Now, just to reiterate, in case you haven't listened to the episode remembering Shafilia Ahmed, honour killings generally occur when females accused of violating traditional gender norms are killed by male relatives for dirtying the family name. And in the case of the Saeed sisters, their unforgivable offence had been dating outside of their father's belief system, something he deemed punishable by death. Now, I think it's fair to put in here that whenever one of these honour killings comes to light, Muslim leaders and members of the faith do emphasise that this is not a practice that is still supported today and is in fact totally forbidden by Islam. And frankly, I think it just needs to stop being called an honour killing and be named and shamed for exactly what it is, which is just a brutal murder of someone you supposedly love simply because they do not do what you want them to, all while hiding under the guise of being a religious practice. How can anyone argue that his heinous crime was anything but honourable? And frankly, the senseless murder of these two innocent girls has brought way more shame to the family name than letting them live their lives as they wanted. As we've said throughout this episode, Amina had made no secret of the fact that she was in danger and had mentioned in her emails that she suspected that her dad and uncles were conspiring to kill both her and Sarah. And these emails were instrumental pieces of evidence as the trial progressed. When it came time for Patricia to testify, she, surprise, surprise, had changed her view of her ex-husband yet again. She told the court of the constant abuse that both she and her daughters had suffered over the years. No longer was she calling him a good dad who had never abused the girls. She now referred to him as a devil. Conveniently, though, she left the part out where she was the one who had delivered Amina and Sarah right into the hands of the man that she was now demonising. He would have had no idea where they were had it not been for her. 
Despite the mountains of evidence that led straight to Yasir, his defence team argued that he was an innocent man who was being persecuted for his religious beliefs. What they didn't say was that he was hardly devout himself and only embraced his Muslim faith when it served his best interests. Which sounds about right, because I do believe practicing members of Islam when they say that honour killings are forbidden. So if he truly was devout, he wouldn't have done what he did. Prosecutors played Sarah's heartbreaking 911 call for the jury, and her dying words basically guaranteed his conviction. Sickeningly though, instead of admitting what everybody else already knew, Yasir's defence lawyer had argued that Sarah, in a state of trauma-induced confusion had misidentified her father as the shooter. And you know what I say to that defence lawyer? I hope you have the day that you deserve. And I hope that your nightmares are filled with the sound of Sarah's words. After deliberating for three hours, the jury found Yasir Sayed guilty on two counts of capital murder and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. On June 19th, 2021, Islam Saeed pleaded guilty to harbouring a fugitive and conspiracy to obstruct justice. And in April of that same year, he was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. On February 2nd, 2021, Yassin Saeed was tried and found guilty of harbouring a fugitive and conspiracy, and he received a 12-year sentence. Now, Patricia has never formally been investigated nor charged with anything in connection with the girl's deaths. But there are a lot of people out there that think she should be held accountable. And there are actually quite a lot of petitions online asking for signatures that she be investigated or have some sort of charges brought against her. Throughout their whole lives, her tendency had always been to choose Yasir over her daughters, even when it was clear that their lives were at stake. Even after he had killed them in cold blood, she was still telling interviewers that she didn't believe that he had ever abused or otherwise harmed the girls. So one minute she'd portray him as a gentle, loving father, and then the next a domineering monster, basically depending on which way the wind was blowing and on any given day. And that's pretty hard to overlook in my opinion. On the other side of the coin... Patricia's defenders claim that she'd been groomed by Yasir from a very young age to follow his lead and keep her mouth shut. And don't get me wrong, this is definitely true to some extent. Like I said, she was 15 when they got married and he was 30. But she had found the strength on at least two occasions to run away with her daughters when it became clear that they were in danger. And frankly, as a mum myself, I would die before letting anything happen. So if it meant he killed me, but my daughters were safe, then so be it. The only comfort I can take from this case is that the super, super close sisters, who'd both wanted to go to medical school with one another, had departed this world together, just as they had lived. To see today's case photos, click on the link in the case description to join the Cup of Coffee and Crime Facebook discussion group. And until next week, stay safe.